I'm Craig Lawless. I'm Kevin Garcia-King. And this is Sounds Like Infrastructure. This is kind of weird to say, but I thought that it was the end of the world. <laughs> On the 27th of February 2010, an 8.8 magnitude earthquake rocked Chile. <laughs> and the whole house were moving like right and left. You just felt like you were going to fall. The epicenter was about 60 kilometers north of Concepcion, but the quake was felt throughout the whole country. And when it hit, it caught everyone by surprise, because it hit right in the middle of the night. It was night at 3 a.m. I, I was with my family, we were sleeping, and I remember that my mom went to my room, and I was very scared because my mom was like, there's an earthquake! <laughs> That's Camila, by the way, who works for Ferroviao in Chile on the VM20 project, or BEME20, as they call it there, a new building being constructed for the University of Chile. And she was in her house in Santiago with her family when the 2010 earthquake hit. The earthquake took place on the boundary of the Nazca and South American tectonic plates, which almost perfectly mirror the Chilean coastline, making it one of the most seismically active places in the world. It caused a tsunami that wreaked havoc on coastal towns close to the epicenter, and, according to official sources, 525 people lost their lives during the 2010 earthquake. The earthquake also knocked out the power for 93% of the population, something Camila saw happening with her own eyes as she looked out the window from her hiding place beneath the frame of the door. I remember that I was looking through the window and you could see lights outside because of the electricity cables. I thought it was lightning, but it clearly wasn't. But even though electricity cables on the street were snapping and furniture was flying everywhere... Like all the glasses and the TVs, they fell. There was one thing that remained undamaged. Camila's house. And her house wasn't the only undamaged building in the country. Almost all of the buildings across Chile remained standing after what was at the time the fifth biggest earthquake ever recorded. How is that even possible? Chile is one of the most seismically active countries in the world, which means they need to design their buildings to combat the destructive power of Mother Nature. On this episode of Sounds Like Infrastructure, we look at what Chile has done right in terms of seismic design. We dig into the rules that govern construction and the techniques engineers and companies like Ferrovia are using to combat the huge forces produced by an earthquake. The secrets to seismic success, up next. To understand why Chile got so good at building their buildings, you gotta go back around 100 years, to the 1920s. Because although Chile understood that it had to design its buildings differently, it was around this time that they started thinking, hey, maybe we should officially do something about this, make seismically resistant buildings a thing. And so they implemented the first recommendations in 1935. But that's all they were, recommendations. It wasn't until after the 1960s that the first modern norm came into effect, because the earthquake that hit that year, well, it was the mother of all earthquakes. In fact, it is the strongest earthquake ever to have been recorded anywhere in the world, this magnitude 9.5, and produce havoc. That's Eduardo Causal, Professor Emeritus at MIT. I'm an engineer, civil engineer, Expertise in earthquakes, wet propagation, everything that shakes and moves. He's Chilean and moved to the US almost 40 years ago. And when he was younger, he experienced quite a few earthquakes. And he especially remembers the 1965 quake. That was really strong, actually. (laughs) 
Depending where you are in the country, you feel certain earthquakes more than others. But to put it into context just how big the 1960 earthquake really was, scientists say that 25% of all the seismic energy released by the planet in the 20th century was released by this one single earthquake. And that caused basically a massive revision, a reconsideration of seismic design in Chile. Remember those recommendations that were brought in in the 1930s? Well, after the 1960 earthquake... Instead of being just recommendations, they, they instituted norms. Basically, regulations that meant any new building would have to be able to resist a certain amount of seismic activity. A regulation that officially came into effect in 1972. In Chile, there are two big norms for seismically resistant buildings. Number 433 and number 2369. Let's start with the first one, 433, which came out in the early 70s and was a direct response to the 1960 earthquake in Valdivia. Standard 433 applies to residential buildings, offices buildings, every building in the city. That's Elena. My name is Elena Avila Serrano. She's also working on the VM20 project and was working as an architect on the Metro de Santiago before that. And she told us that if you're a company like Ferrovia on building in Chile, you have to stick to the 433 norm no matter what, which means that every building that Ferrovial has built in Chile complies with the standard. In fact, every new building across Chile complies with this standard. It's not negotiable. What's interesting about the 433 standard, though, is that the building may have damage after an earthquake. The standard basically says that after an earthquake hits, the most important thing is that the building doesn't collapse. It can have cracks, it can have damage, but it should not fall down. In other words, when you're trying to protect these people. Then there's the other norm, 2369, which is more restrictive because it's associated with with buildings that provide basic services, such as transportation, power supply, for example, metro and power plants. In the case of uh, industrial buildings, the content is much more important than the building. And so you may have, I mean, generators and pumps and piping and whatever. You have very expensive machinery inside and you need to protect that. Basically, if your power plant, for example, falls under the 2369 norm, it has to be 100% operational after the earthquake so that the country can continue to function as normal. So the question is, how do you build buildings that comply with these norms? How do you make sure your building is seismically resistant? The key thing to keep in mind is that the energy from the earthquake has to go somewhere and that the earthquake transmits its energy in the form of waves. And these waves make the building react differently depending on whether it's made of wood, steel, or, in the case of our first example, concrete. Initially, the, the philosophy in Chile was to bake houses as strong as possible, very, very stiff, such that they would move basically almost like a rigid block. and, uh, and survive the earthquake that way. Rigid buildings, like those made out of concrete, absorb the full energy of the earthquake, which means that as the earth moves left, the building moves left. As it moves right, the building moves right. But although concrete gives you a certain rigidity and stiffness, it is prone to cracking. Concrete is a very brittle material, actually. Imagine you're holding a piece of chalk, which is going to be your concrete pillar. If you press down on it, it will break immediately and it will break very cleanly. And this is what would happen in an earthquake. 
not ideal. Well, anyway, you take this piece of chalk, which is brittle and resists very little, and then take a little bit of uh, scotch tape, and you wrap it around in scotch tape. And now if you repeat the experiment, you will see that it offers resistance. And not only offers resistance, it begins cracking everywhere, not just in the middle. It begins cracking everywhere, but the, actually the scotch tape keeps the chalk confined and it doesn't break evenly. And the total force that you need to do to ultimate breaking is bigger. You can move it back and forth and you will notice that it still offers resistance. Well, that's what we do with concrete. You do add reinforcement. Reinforced concrete gives you a rigid building with a certain amount of ductility. And that allows the building to withstand the forces of the earthquake and ultimately, even if it has some cracks and damage, not collapse. Which is exactly what the 433 norms set out to ensure. You can also build with more flexible materials than reinforced concrete. Steel and wood, for example, offer more flexible structures. But in this case, you need to add some sort of element that makes the structure more rigid. So, depending on the material and design of the building, you have to balance the flexibility and rigidity of the building. A flexible building could add rigidity by adding a sheer wall, for example. And while a rigid building moves as one whole unit, in a more flexible building, you might feel the earthquake differently depending on what floor you're on. It's even possible that if you're on the top floor, you might not even feel the building move at all, whereas on other floors, you'd feel much more of the movement. What's interesting is that you can actually have a mix of these two types of buildings, using more rigid and flexible materials in the same construction. And the VM20 project that Ferrovial is building for the University of Chile is a perfect example of this. Remember, VM20 or BM20 in Spanish. Yes, uh, for example, in the BM20 project. That's Camila again. We have a part of the structure that is a concrete structure, and the other one is a steel structure. Vicuña Maquina number 20 is being built by Ferrovial for the University of Chile, a project that both Camila and Elena are working on in Santiago. It's an eight-story building with five more floors underground. This type of building is a challenge for engineers because these two parts of the building want to behave differently in an earthquake. One part is rigid, the other more flexible which becomes a problem if they're both attached. So in the part that it changes from one kind of structure to another, we have a piece of steel that works as a pendulum. It allows the structure to oscillate. And what this means is... That one part of the, uh, the building moves uh, in a way because, because of the, the material and the other moves in another way. It's a design that allows the different parts of the building to move independently from one another. Another Ferrovio project in Santiago is the Metro, where the team took part in two different phases of two different lines. First, in Linea 6, we execute the stations, and then in Linea 3, we made all the claddings, los revestimientos. As we mentioned before, the Metro is a vital transport system, and so it falls under the 2369 norm. But it does have a slight advantage when it comes to its underground location. Metro is an underground building, okay? And it behaves differently in the event of an earthquake uh, compared to buildings above the ground. And the reason for this is down to how the waves of the earthquake travel through the ground. If you go underground, the, the motion is less severe. If you go underground more than, say, three or five meters, the motion is, is, is substantially less intensive there. Now, why is this? Because you have waves that move up 
move up, reach the surface, and they get reflected at the surface and go down. And what happens is that the incident wave that goes up and the reflected wave that goes down, they add up at the surface and they double the intensity of the motion there compared to what happens underneath. And this is why buildings on the surface are effective much more than something like the Metro Underground. On the other hand, underneath the surface you have cancellation, you have destructive interference of waves, and therefore they tend to cancel out. You have locations where the waves cancel out. In fact, this cancellation of waves is exactly how noise-cancelling headphones work. If the frequency is the same and the peak of the wave hits the trough, the wave is cancelled out. It's the same phenomenon, actually. You get, you get here noise cancellation <laughs> as you go down. More recently, engineers have come up with some clever ideas that deal with the energy produced by earthquakes in different ways, by adding some seismic-specific features. And these specific features can be found on another Ferrovial project in Santiago. Another example uh, that we are building right now is the CEN, or Corredor Eléctrico Nacional. And the feature this building has is something called base isolation. The CEN project has two major buildings, one front offices and one that is called the data center or Centro de Datos. This is the building that has base isolation. And the reason a data center would be designed with base isolation makes perfect sense. Remember how a rigid building allows all the energy from the earthquake to travel through it? Well, a building with base isolation dramatically reduces the amount of energy that enters the building. We're talking like 60 or 70% of that energy, which is ideal if you've got a lot of computer equipment that doesn't like to move around too much. And base isolation has been proven to work really well on medium-rise buildings. Here's how it works. So there are some pieces made of elastomer, a kind of rubber, that you put in the pillar. That means you are constructing the pillar 15 meters under the ground, and then when you reach the natural ground level, you cut the pillar, you put these elastomer pieces on it, and then you continue the pillar. If you're using base isolation, you basically cut the building when it reaches the surface, insert these pieces of rubber, and then build the rest of the building on top of it. I mean, it's more complicated than that, but that's the basic idea. According to Eduardo, it's a little like being on a frozen lake in rollerblades. Imagine that you're standing on skates on a lake, on a frozen lake, and that somebody pulls the ice back and forth. You could stand still, actually. The ice moves underneath you and it would not affect you. So when the earthquake occurs and the movement of the ground occurs, the building over the ground doesn't move because it's separate. The ground moves and the building stays put, doesn't move. Base isolation on a low-rise building like the Thin or even a hospital has been shown to work really well. And Chile has been a leader in the innovation of base isolation. But they've now taken a step that not many others have taken. Base isolation on high-rise buildings. I mean, I'm confident that they're well-designed. The principle is, is good. However, there may be something unexpected that you did not account for, which may cause it to behave differently from what you designed it for. The reason tall buildings on isolators could be an issue is because of the vertical acceleration of the earthquake waves. If you had very strong vertical acceleration, you don't want the building to jump up and down, actually. Now, why could it jump up and down? During the 1985, extremely strong uh, Valparaiso-Algarrobo earthquake, 
there were vertical accelerations in San Antonio. The, this is a port in San Antonio of about a G or so. Very high accelerations. Now, if you have if you have one G acceleration, whatever is there begins actually wants to jump up and down and disconnect from the ground. It didn't happen because the buildings are built into the ground, but potentially that could happen. Eduardo is very much a never say never kind of guy, but a city like Santiago hasn't actually experienced many earthquakes with this kind of force. Even the strong earthquake, the Maule earthquake, they have about 30% of gravity, 0.3 Gs in acceleration. But there is always a possibility that something stronger with more vertical acceleration might come along. And this leap of faith has been how Chile has always designed for earthquakes. You implement new norms, new ideas, and then see how the buildings react to them in the next earthquake. In Chile, they are their own testing ground. The final seismic design we're going to look at is something called a seismic damper, which, like base isolation, is an additional feature you can decide to add or not. It's optional. Seismic damper dissipates energy, okay? So it means that it reduces the effect of the energy that comes from an earthquake. While base isolation reduces the energy entering the building, a building with seismic dampers allows the energy to enter, but it has all these strategic points where the flow of energy is reduced. And a good example of this is the Torre Titanium in Santiago. That is the second tallest tower in Chile. In Torre Titanium, between floor and floor, uh, you have a structural metal crosses. Crosses in the shape of an X. And... In the junction of these uh, crosses, you have seismic damper that are like springs, like car shock absorbers. And what these do is reduce the transfer of energy from one section of the building to the next. Thanks to the adoption of different norms and solutions like base isolation or seismic dampers, most buildings in Chile now stay up after an earthquake and a lot don't have any damage to them at all. The next challenge for Chileans is to improve the inside of their buildings. Things like false ceilings and other installations. But what's most impressive about Chile's evolution in seismic design is that they're not afraid to learn from their mistakes and from past experiences, which has helped them to develop some of the most seismically resistant structures anywhere on the planet. Sounds Like Infrastructure is a collaboration between Ferrovial and Beleta Media. Our team includes Craig Lawless, Jose Garcia Guaita, Arancha Gullias, Teresa Beno, Candela del Valle Dominguez, and myself, Kevin Garcia King. There is so much more to earthquake engineering and so much about vibrational frequencies, soil, and different types of earthquakes that we just couldn't include in this episode. But we want to say a huge thank you to all of our guests, to Eduardo, Elena, Camila, and Benjamin Navarrete of the University of Chile, who we spoke to for the Spanish version of this episode. We'd also like to thank... Thanks Alberto, Alejandro, and Felipe for the BM20 project. Thanks to the civil engineers Victor Canales and Marco Ulloa, who gave me invaluable information. Thanks also to Solange and Javier from Proyecto Zen. Don't forget to subscribe to Sounds Like Infrastructure on Apple Podcasts and share the episode with your friends. I'm Craig Lawless. I'm Kevin Garcia-King. And this is Sounds Like Infrastructure.